Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Evening Standard and the Borough Press present Underground, Tales for London Northern Line by Kat Gordon Read by Isabella Inchbald Grace was late leaving the theatre that day. They were only putting on matinees now to contend with the blackouts, but half-past three had rolled around and still the last two tickets remained unclaimed at the box office. She procrastinated by filing away the tickets for the following day, studiously ignoring the suggestion from Henry the barman that she was just waiting for an invitation back to his place. If not for him, the foyer was quiet. The rolling cadences of Shakespeare and various coughs and rustles from the audience, muffled by two sets of brown doors and a thick green carpet. And then suddenly, they were here, breathless and apologetic, and obviously from out of town. Can we still go in? the woman asked. She was wearing a shabby blue coat that clashed with her purple lipstick. She was pretty, but too thin, Grace thought. We're all thin now, though. She smiled at them, ignoring Henry's rolled eyes. Of course you can. Go through those doors there and up the staircase. At the top, tap twice and Pam the usher can show you to your seats. Thank you. They hurried off and Grace gathered up her coat and bag locked up her booth and came out into the foyer, pocketing the key. Out there, she hesitated, savouring the last of the vaudeville's warmth. How about it then, Henry said. I've never been with a redhead before, or a Scot. He sidled up to her, and now he leaned in as if to do something to her hair. Smell it? Kiss it? She jumped away, disgusted. Not if you were the last man on earth, she said and pushed her way through the double doors. The strand in October was cold and grey, a slate-coloured grey that started at pavement level and climbed the buildings until it reached the sky. She buried her hands in her pockets. At least it wouldn't be getting dark for another couple of hours, and autumn always smelled good, even in the city. She took a deep breath. There was a smoky sweetness to the air. Someone was burning leaves nearby and an unusual smell of coffee and turpentine. The smell was coming from a young, broad-shouldered man wearing a patched-up brown suit. He was barreling down the street towards her despite a limp in his left leg. He wasn't looking up, and she didn't move quickly enough, and he bumped into her. They both apologised, but he didn't raise his eyes from his feet, and barely stopped walking. Another way London was different to home. She turned and made her way up through Covent Garden, stopping to look in shop windows. It was her mother's birthday soon. She should think about what to get her. It had to be something she could post easily. 
There was no money left for the train back until Christmas at the very earliest. Even then she wasn't sure she wanted to go. She missed her parents, but she was painfully aware that her threadbare dresses were the same ones she'd arrived with almost two years ago now. Gracie is going to London to earn her fortune, her father had told the neighbours when she left. What are you going to be, Gracie? A singer? An actress? She'll be a dancer with those legs, one of the neighbours had said. Aye, I remember her doing high kicks on the garden wall not that many years ago. What about running a department store? That from Mrs Muirfield. Then you could send us all some fancy new kitchenware. At least she was living in a nice area. Hampstead Heath was on her doorstep, and the landlady was very protective of her young female lodger. They even had a garden with apple and pear trees, and in the summer they made apple pies and compote and... No, she corrected herself. They'd had a garden with apple and pear trees. Last week, as they'd sat in the Anderson shelter, there'd been a deafening explosion and then a soft pattering. When they'd managed to wrench the door open, they'd seen a small crater where the lawn had been. They were all unscathed, thank God. Her and Mrs. Patterson and Bert, the other lodger who Mrs. Patterson suspected of being a communist. But Grace didn't like to look out of her bedroom window now, not down onto that gaping hole. It was so different already to those first few raids. It hadn't been exciting exactly, but there was a sense of togetherness. They'd usually been in their dressing gowns, and after the all-clear was sounded, Mrs. Patterson would make them a cup of tea and they'd sit around the kitchen table and talk intimately in a way they never would have before. These days, Grace was often tempted just to stay in her room with something stronger than Mrs. Patterson's tea to hand. It was the bloody noise, the relentlessness, it wore you down. She realised with a start that people were forming a queue at Leicester Square Station ahead of her. The sky had slipped from grey to indigo almost without warning, and she was suddenly afraid. The air seemed clearer in the darkness, clear as glass, with every brick on the surrounding buildings, every window defined. Perfect conditions for them. She hurried past the queue. They weren't passengers, she knew. People were sleeping in the underground now. One of the actors last week had said that there were nearly 200,000 people down there every night. She was almost at the entrance. Two white-haired underground officials stood either side, and as she reached them, the one on the left nodded, and the queue slowly started to make its way through the gate. Are the trains still running? she asked him. Till 10.30, miss. White lines show where the walkway for passengers is. He waved her through, and she slipped past the people already inside, and onto the escalator, realising as she did that the man in the brown suit from earlier was directly ahead of her. From behind, she could see that his hair was longer than usual, almost shoulder-length, and a deep, glossy blue-black. She wondered who he was, what he did. Where was he born? Did he go home every Sunday for a roast? Not likely these days. Funny, she thought, how you could spend half an hour on a train with someone and never see them again. The train was busier than her usual one, and she was forced to stand, holding on to one of the straps that dangled from the roof of the carriage. The windows had blackout material taped over them, for when the train surfaced at Golders Green, and directly opposite her was an advert for Brooklax chocolate laxative. There was only so long she could study that, so Grace took note of her fellow passengers instead. Three away from her was the brown suit again, and next to him were two older gentlemen wearing what Grace's mother would have called the full get-up. 
dinner jackets, top hats and cashmere scarves. They had obviously just come from a concert, and one of them was complaining loudly about it to the other. You can't possibly tell me that anyone prefers that atonal rubbish to Marla. The other man waved his hand. No one goes for the music nowadays. It's a chance for some grub, that's all. The programme specifically lists Marla. The first gentleman waved a piece of paper around and knocked the glasses off the woman standing next to him. I do apologise, madam. The woman glared at him, then burst into a hacking cough. Both gentlemen recoiled, and the man in brown looked up for a moment, then quickly lost interest. Grace stifled a smile and gripped her strap tightly as the train lurched around a bend. At Hampstead, the doors slid open much like the curtain at the theatre, revealing a densely populated stage lit by a bluish light. Grace stepped gingerly off the train, noticing that the Marler enthusiast and his friend, and Mr. Brown, all followed her. She looked ahead, rather than at the scores of people sitting on the platform floor. No, she thought, hundreds. She wondered if they had no shelters at home, or if it was simply that they had no homes anymore. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw two small children playing together, throwing a ball against the wall and catching it on the rebound, and something stuck in her throat. As the queue of exiting passengers neared the end of the platform, everyone stopped suddenly, and an instinctive hush fell as they all listened out. Then they heard it. A muffled whine and cough followed by drumming and that unmistakable thud. Grace hesitated, half-turned and came face to face with the station official. I wouldn't go up there, miss. It sounds close. But we've got an Anderson shelter. Not worth the risk. He looked beyond her at all the other passengers trying to get his attention. Hopefully they'll get bored soon. All the anti-aircraft guns will get them, and then you can go home. But is it safe here? He patted her arm reassuringly. Deepest station in the old underground system, Hampstead. We're more than 190 feet below ground. What if they don't stop soon? You can sleep down here. It's not too bad. Bit nippy, but plenty of bodies to keep you warm. But I'm not... I don't have anything. Grace felt her cheeks heating up. Don't say you don't have your dressing gown on you, she told herself. The official moved off. He's right someone said to her left. She looked down at a chubby blonde girl around her own age who was inspecting her nails. The girl sighed, dropped her hands and looked up. There are plenty of bodies and mosquitoes. Mosquitoes? Yep, they must be drawn to the smell or something. The Marler gentleman had buttonholed the official now and was waving his programme around again. A few paces behind him, Mr Brown skulked, seemingly indifferent to his surroundings. Grace found suddenly that she wanted more than anything to see his face properly, have him meet her eye. She shook herself mentally. Where do people sleep? She asked the girl. The girl made a sweeping gesture with her arm. On the platform. On the floor? On the floor. There's talk of getting bunk beds in. Some of the other stations have them already, apparently. What about toilet facilities? Got some buckets in the lift shaft. Grace felt sick and closed her eyes for a moment. No, really, it's disgraceful, she heard the Marla gentleman say. Haven't you heard of tuberculosis, meningitis, influenza? She opened her eyes again in time to see the blonde girl roll hers in Marla's general direction. Grace looked over her shoulder, wondering why. 
He seemed benevolent enough, if a little agitated. He had a neat black beard and very round glasses. His fist was still bunched around the programme. His friend was greying around the temples, clean-shaven and looked mildly amused. The official had moved away again. Grace hadn't heard his response, and now she came to think of it, she couldn't hear many voices. Everyone seemed to be sitting in silence, or muttering to their neighbour. Even the children were playing quietly. There was a thickness to the air that came from a hundred or more drawn breaths. Come on, the blonde girl said. You can share my coat. She shuffled over and the woman knitting on her other side moved as well without once adjusting her rhythm or looking up. Grace sat down. Thank you. Don't mention it. They grinned at each other. Aim? Grace started, but the other girl cut her off. I don't like knowing names, she said. Makes it harder if I have to read in the paper about you getting blown up. I don't think I'd warrant a special naming in the paper, Grace said. She leaned back against the tiled wall. Not like these two. Marla and his friend were picking their way towards Grace and her companion. Mr. Brown seemed to be following them almost automatically. Do you ladies mind if we stand here? Marla's friend asked. The blonde girl rolled her eyes again. Not at all, Grace said. Bit crowded, isn't it? It's a public health liability, Marla said fretfully. His friend met Grace's eye and winked. She smiled back at him. Well, we're all in this together now, aren't we? He said. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Are we? The blonde girl said. Just got back from the factory, have you? Been busy helping the war effort? Marla looked affronted. I'm sure you know we've been doing no such thing. She snorted. At least you're honest about it. The friend smiled again. What my colleague means is there are other ways of helping the war effort. Let me guess, politicians? He made a half bow. Almost right. Civil servants, I'm afraid. How interesting, Grace said, embarrassed by the other girl's bluntness. Do you think so? Her father's phrase sprang to mind. Well, several servants are the grease for the political wheel, aren't they? Marla raised his eyebrow and his friend laughed. Is that your opinion? If he hadn't been smiling, Grace would have thought he was mocking her. My dad works for the post office, she said. And a cousin of mine, her husband was high up in the railways. Very interesting, Marla said. You don't happen to know if he... He moved to Kenya with my cousin and their children, Grace said quickly. Years ago, he died out there. No one in the family talked about Jessie anymore, or her children. How old had Theo and Maud been when she saw them last? Probably only a little older than the children playing with their ball down here. And she'd been even younger, only five maybe. She'd loved Maud. She remembered. Oh well, Marla said, no harm in trying. Is it true the government's got a shelter in the old Dan Street tube? 
the blonde girl asked. With offices and living quarters in the works? I don't know where you came across that information, Marla snapped. So they do. Don't you think it's important to keep the government safe? His friend asked. I didn't say it wasn't. Do you think their lives are worth more? He took out a cigarette case, chose a cigarette and lit it. I'm afraid I don't follow. They were talking about building deep shelters in Finsbury, the blonde girl said, in the garden squares, but they didn't. They won't. Finsbury's a working class borough. Ah, he blew out smoke. A communist in our midst. So what if I am? Don't you think the government takes its responsibilities seriously? They're trying to run the country for everyone. Who's going to do that if they're all blown up? What's the point in a government if all the citizens are dead? Touché, he murmured, and turned to look directly at Grace instead. What do you think, my dear? Mr Brown looked up and met her gaze then. His eyes were green. For some reason she thought they'd be brown. I don't... He dropped them again. I've put you on the spot, Marla's friend said. Marla cleared his throat loudly. Must you smoke that down here? His friend dropped the cigarette without a word and ground it under his heel. He was so solid. She stole a look at his hands. They were huge, but delicate at the same time. Long fingers, neat. Pianist's hands, she thought, without knowing why. The blonde girl squeezed Grace's arm. Are you okay? she asked, sounding concerned. I'm fine. Grace smiled weakly at her. Are you sure? She lowered her voice. Where did you say the facilities are? In the lift shafts. They closed the two on the left. Grace stood, avoiding looking at the others, and made her way in the direction indicated, picking her way over more people slumped against walls and lining the stairs. A middle-aged woman was leaning against the wall next to the lifts. Bow on in, she said. This one's empty. Thank you, Grace murmured. It was even colder in here and smelled strongly of urine. A single lantern placed on the floor lit up the enamel bucket. Grace lifted her face. The ceiling seemed miles away. She could only tell where it was because there was another lantern up there, its light shining through the space between the lift and walls. Must be so anyone who still needs shelter can find their way, she thought, and wondered if a station official was up there with it, ready to guide the seeker into safety. She lowered her gaze again and made her way to the centre of the floor, suppressing a shudder, then lifted her skirt, rolled her underwear down to just below her knees and squatted over the bucket. At first, nothing came. Grace tried to relax, and eventually a long stream came gushing out. She'd wondered if people sitting outside would hear. But no, it was covered by the whistling of the wind around her. And then, without warning, the rat-a-tat-tat of the anti-aircraft guns sounded, echoing loudly in the empty metal space. She jumped, felt a splash of liquid hit her shoe. Above her, the clamour continued. She forced herself to hurry, shaking herself over the bucket to get rid of any remaining drops, then pulling her knickers and stockings back up and running out of the shaft, out of earshot of whatever was going on above her. She collided with Mr. Brown for the second time that day and slipped. He caught her, one hand on her elbow and one round her waist. She let out a yelp and grabbed at his lapel, hauling herself upright again. Sorry, he said. His voice was low but clear too. 
He was so close she could see the small white scar on the bridge of his nose. She wondered where it came from, if it was the same incident that had injured his leg. It's my fault, she said. I was running. I I didn't feel safe when the guns started. Silly of me. I don't blame you. They're awful loud in there, the woman standing next to the lift said, and Grace suddenly remembered they weren't alone. Scares me half to death every time I hear them. But we're safe down here, love. The station official said. He's right. Thank God they started letting us in. They had orders at first to shut the gates when the bombing started. Grace looked around at all the faces. No one else was paying them much attention. A young woman was feeding her baby, and near her a family of six were playing cards quietly. Several people were sleeping. An old man was smoking his pipe and his wife a cigarette. She looked closer and saw their free hands were interlinked. They were all just ordinary people. The idea that they could be turned away shocked her. Why? she asked. They thought large shelters would incubate defeatism, Mr. Brown said. He rammed his hands into his pockets. The worry that everyone would talk about how bad it was and come to the conclusion that the war wasn't worth fighting. That's awful. How oh, I'm just grateful they changed their minds, the lift woman said. That's all that matters. Not if people died because they couldn't get in, someone said behind Grace. She turned and saw that the blonde girl and Marla and his friend had followed them. Government takes everything into consideration, Marla's friend said. Sometimes hard decisions are made for the good of the people. The blonde girl looked angry now. And turning people away is good for them. Sometimes you have to consider elements, unstable elements. Poor people, immigrants. He smoothed his shirt front. Anyone is welcome to their own private shelter, but we don't need a case of mass hysteria in one of the communal ones. Anyone vulnerable is allowed to panic, the blonde girl said. Her cheeks were shiny with tears. People like you are the reason my mum's dead. Grace took her hand. I'm so sorry, a bomb. No. The blonde girl scrubbed her eye with the heel of her other palm. My dad killed her after he drank too much one night. I kept telling her to leave, but she had no safe place to go. Grace didn't understand how the two were linked, but Mr. Brown seemed to. He touched the blonde girl on the arm briefly and nodded when she looked at him. Sorry, he said. Marla and his friend were quiet. The woman next to the lifts was tutting. Poor lamb. She stooped and picked up a thermos standing by her feet. Have a sip of this. The blonde girl dropped Grace's hand and took the thermos. She gulped down whatever was in it, then tried to pass it back. The woman waved it away. You keep it, dearie. Thank you. She looked tearful again, and Grace tried to distract her. Did you need to use the facilities? I wanted to see how you were. You went sort of green before you left. She jerked her thumb at Marla and friend. I don't know why they followed me. I wanted to see if there was a space where I wasn't at risk of contracting some god-awful disease, Marla said. His friend took out his cigarette case again. And I wanted to talk to you. She turned her head and looked directly at Mr. Brown. Oh? Well, this is interesting, the blonde girl said. Marla sniffed. I got on the train because of you, Mr. Brown said. I noticed you on the strand, and then when you were behind me on the escalator, 
Didn't you see me hesitate at the bottom? I was waiting to see which direction you were going in. Where did you need to go? Balam. He cocked his head, looking her in the eye. A strange surge of energy coursed through her, starting at her toes and ending up around her ears. She wondered briefly if she'd been poisoned. You heard about that sort of thing happening in wartime. What were you going to do? she asked. Nothing, he shrugged. Ride the train with you. Oh? You never know which bomb is the one with your name on it. He looked away. I liked looking at you. I liked the way you smelled. I just wanted to have that for a little longer. A sea, she said. From above, there was a particularly loud whine and thud, and the lights flickered. The ground trembled. Someone nearby let out a panicked cry, and grit and soot started raining down on their heads. Grace reached out and grabbed Mr. Brown's hand. She felt the blonde girl reach out and hold her other hand. More people were crying or screaming now, and among the din she suddenly realised she was calling for her mother. She closed her eyes and focused inwards. Don't panic. This isn't how I die, she thought. This isn't how I die. Am I dying? No. The shaking stopped. I can still breathe. She opened her eyes. A cloud of dust still emanated from the lift shaft. Everyone was covered in a fine layer of dirt, and a few tiles had fallen off the wall near the smoking couple. But otherwise everything was normal. Or almost normal. She noticed that everyone was holding someone's hand. Even Marla and his friend were clasped to each other. She met his friend's eye and he looked away. Thank fucking Christ, someone said loudly, and someone else laughed. Then they were all laughing, brave, together. Grace was still holding Mr. Brown's hand, and she squeezed it tightly. I don't know your name, she said. Northern Line is a short story of the underground from Cat Gordon. Cat Gordon's latest novel, The Hunters, is out on the 31st of May 2018 and will be available in audiobook, hardback and ebook. You can find the other stories in this collection from the Borough Press on Audible, Kobo and Apple. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.